In today's episode, we talk about how to know when you're praying out of legalism instead of love, why prophecy isn't meant to be weird, what it takes to become a prayer-centered church, and how to make a job transition that's out of your comfort zone. All of that on today's Dreamers and Disciples. Welcome to the show. I'm Wade Joy, and I'm your host, and I am thrilled to introduce you to our guest, my friend, Lee McDermott. Now, Lee currently serves as the prayer director for 24-7 Prayer US, and he's also on the leadership team at New Spring Church in South Carolina. That's where we first met about 15 or 16 years ago. And he's just been a dear friend for many years, but he has so much wisdom that I can't wait to share with you today. Believe me, this is an amazing conversation that we have. You're going to be very encouraged just to love Jesus more and to really have a hunger to dive into his word, to dive into prayer. And I think you're going to learn a lot too from his perspective. So I can't wait for you to get to that. But before we listen to that conversation, if you haven't downloaded my free guide, Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul, it actually will help you put into practice much of what we talk about in this conversation. So one of the things we get into is how to know when it's time for a rhythm to change. You know, when does your prayer rhythm become legalistic and when do you need to mix it up? And so this guide will help you find ways to have prayer as a priority in your life, but also be flexible enough to know how to change the rhythm when it's become stale. So just, I want to give you that. It's a free gift. Just go to the link in the show notes or just go to wadejoy.com. Now, also, I would love to ask everyone listening to this, if you love this show, please go and leave a review on your podcast platform. And I'd be really grateful if you gave it five stars. It would mean a lot to me. It helps the algorithm so that the show is more accessible to more people. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. So three things that I want you to do today. If you haven't gotten the download of Seven Rhythms to Renew the Health of Your Soul, do that. And then also subscribe to the podcast and then leave a review on your podcast platform. So thank you so much for that. Now it's time to get to my conversation with Lee McDermott. All right. Well, I'm excited to have Lee McDermott on the podcast today. Welcome, Lee. Hey, Wade. It's great to see you, man. I was just telling you before we hit record that you are one of my heroes. You are one of the best men I know, and you've always been a role model for me in ministry. In fact, I remember... When I, it was probably like one of the first months I was on the job at Elevation and, you know, me and Chris and Mac, we were trying to figure out what in the world we were doing and you and your church at New Spring had been so kind to our church. And so I think you were the first worship pastor that we drove down to meet with. And I'll never forget this conversation. And I tell this to worship leaders all the time now because we were going and we were asking you all these questions about audition processes and all this stuff. And you said, okay, we can get to all that. But first, what I want you to do is write down on a piece of paper, every position you need, just get as specific as you can. And I want you to pray about that every day because God will provide what you need. And yes, you need to do these other systems and everything, but, but you've got to take these needs to the Lord in prayer. And I've never forgotten that. And it's been one of those things that I keep coming back to not just when I was a worship pastor at a church, but in day-to-day life. And so I know prayer is important to you, and I want to spend a lot of time talking about that 
but I just want to say thank you too, because that one little comment you made, what, six, 15, 16 years ago, still bears fruit in my life uh, to this day. So your words carry a lot of weight with me and I can't wait for them to bless people today as well. Oh, praise the Lord. Um, I am encouraged all over again by hearing that. You're so kind to, to say that. I, that's still a practice of mine, just like making a list with God. Be like, hey, here's all here's all these <laughs> needs I, we've got, Lord. <laughs> and they seem too big for us to fill. I just, you know, God is so good to richly provide for everything we need. I love you guys so much, man. It's been, I mean, you know, we've, we've been friends forever and uh, it's just been wonderful to watch your voice as a spiritual father in the church continue to expand. And uh, so, you know, I, I could say, you know, the the roles could be reversed. I could say, I mean, you're one of my heroes too, brother man. Seriously, the way that you have led out with humility and with confidence and uh, seeking God, I think that you have helped to steward some of the 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 best um, music for our generation that God's trying to throw at his party oh. right now, man. So, I mean, I, I just want to tell you, thank you uh, for that as well. And I just know that the things that you're doing on this podcast and through the new ministry that God's given you, it's going to give a whole lot of uh, solid foundation to church leaders, worship leaders in the, in the days ahead. So, man, I bless you with that. This, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I feel like the, the work that you're doing now is um, maybe some of the some of the most important stuff that you've been set here on earth to do, man. So I'm, I'm just pumped for you, man. Thank you. I think this, this podcast might just be an encouragement fest back and forth to each other. <laughs> People just get to listen in on and hopefully they're encouraged. But one of the things that I want to talk about, you know, you wrote, uh, this is your most recent book. Um, you've, how many books of poetry have you released? There've been four books of, of poetry that I've released. The first three were, you know, kind of standard, just poetry uh -huh. collections. This last one is a collection of blessings okay. that are all the, all the poems in it are meant to be read and received as, as blessings. So I've done those, these four since 2020. Which I, I love that it's, it's called one beautiful moment. And I ordered it as soon as I was able to, and you actually write this kind of as a four to note to the reader at the beginning, you say in our modern desert, of outrage and cynicism, words of blessing serve as an oasis to the weary. Uh, I've served as a pastor for several decades now and have observed the power of a timely benediction. Can you talk about the role that our words can play to bless other people and how we can steward those words well? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, like I've, I've wrote in that forward, I mean, you've been a pastor for a long time too. I mean, there's so much vitriol, there's so much, there's so much negativity and I mean, in the atmosphere around us. And if we are truly, I receive it this way, if we're truly made in the image of God, the God who through his words brought life and goodness where there was void and emptiness, mm -hmm. then we have that same power and ability. I mean, this is all over the scriptures, life and death are the power of the tongue, but those and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is in Proverbs. And, you know, um, I, I do believe that there are power, there is power in the words that we use, especially when we use them to bless other people. Now, there's some streams of faith that take that a little too far. The idea of manifesting is quite a right. new, new age, you know, sort of thing. It's not new at all, really. So I'm not talking about anything like that. What I'm talking about is just simply the biblical practice of saying, may the Lord make his face to shine upon right. you. You know, and when you do something like that, what you're doing is conferring heavenly, you know, you're you're conferring the wealth of heaven onto someone else's life. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I feel like as pastors, we do it all the time. 
I want to give the best of that to my family and to my kids first and bless them on the way to school. And, you know, I feel like every time we gather, you know, as the people of God, we should be looking for the Holy Spirit to give us some insight into how can I speak? How can I put blessing on this person's life? How can I put the life of heaven on this person and uh, watch it, yeah. watch it grow? And you've been, you model that so well because there are, have been several times, pivotal times in my life where I've been on a morning prayer walk and I've, you know, this has happened, I think twice in the last year that you've done this, where I've been praying and asking for God about some specific word or encouragement. And I'll just get a text from you. And I've noticed that they're always centered around a scripture that you're praying over me, but you're a master at giving timely encouragement. So I want to know, how do you practice that? Because I know that doesn't just come by accident. It has to be part of your prayer practice where you're you're praying scripture or you have a list of certain people you're praying for. Maybe the Holy Spirit brings people to mind, but I'd love to walk through what that looks like on your end. You know, this is a practice that um, I first heard Bob. Uh, well, this was something that God wired into my original calling. I would take a, before I, after I was called into ministry and before I uh, actually started studying as a musician, um, I had an old co-op job as an engineer, and I and I mean I'm on like on fire for God, going into this boring job, taking a post-it note with me, and I'm writing the initials of all of my friends who I'm praying for. Yeah, so it's like intercession has been a big deal for me. That's where it, where it kind of started. Years later, as a worship leader, a guy named Bob Coughlin. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're. Yeah. I mean, Bob is kind of a legend, right? Worship matters. Well, yeah, worship matters. But Bob told me. Bob has a list of people, worship leaders, pastors. Bob spends about 45 minutes to an hour in prayer going through all these names and specific requests every single day. Every day. I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know what I mean? Like, so I just adopted that process as the people who I care about. And it changes seasonally as I feel like, you know, God drawing me into prayer for certain people. But the way that God has connected it is I will be thinking, I'll just ask God what he thinks about that person. As I see Wade Joy's name come up on the list, what are you thinking about for Wade? And then the Holy Spirit will bring a scripture to mind. And then I will get some sense of like, you can go ahead and tell him that. And it's, you know, so it becomes really a, a prophetic exercise at that point, just hearing what God is bringing to mind and saying it for someone's edification, mm-hmm. encouragement, or consolation is 1 Corinthians 14, 3. So proper prophetic exercise holds hands with intercession. So that that's where intercession can turn into encouragement yeah. when we do that. But And then it's just, you know, riding around at work, all of a sudden it's like, I'll, I'll catch your name blinking in my... <laughs> In my imagination, text Wade now, and they're like, okay, what does Wade need to know? You know, and then and just listening for that and then delivering it. And it never, I'm never, so I'm not surprised anymore that it happens at a timely moment. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's such a joy to me, man. I, I, I love being a conduit for God's encouragement. It's happened to me so many times from so many people, man. So anyway, I'm, I'm so blessed that that's been a blessing to you. So it's a discipline you put into practice that creates space to actually have your heart tuned to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you about someone else. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, developing the practice of listening and hearing God in one place at one time every day, Mm -hmm helps you hear God at every place at every other time through the rest of the day. Yeah. 
praying, praying continually is not like continually asking God right. for things. It's the, it's like just remembering that you have this friend who's always with you. You can be silent for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. You can be in conversation for long period. you know, so. But I do, when you brought up, you know, praying in one place every day at the same time, and I've read different people call that having, you know, thin places um, where it feels like mm-hmm. heaven is near because that's when you, you you go to it with the express purpose of meeting with God and being aware of what God wants to say to you and what you your heart needs to say to God. What does that look like for you? Like what's your, because I love asking people, what's your daily prayer practice? Because I think it helps. Sometimes prayer can seem like such a vague concept for the average Christian. And I know it's something that both of us have a passion for people to grow in. So I think hearing mm-hmm. different people's practices of prayer number one helps people see that it doesn't always have to look the same for everybody, but then it gives them some handles that yeah. might work for them too. You know, Wade, my daily practice is currently under extreme renovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me tell you where I've come from and what God is doing now. Okay. My practice for a long time had been basically to get up two hours before my first engagement of the day. And so having two little kids, my first engagement of the day is at 630 when my kids get up and I'm having breakfast with them. So I, my normal practice would be to get up at 4.30 and to spend the first two hours unhurried in prayer and reading with God. It would look like, you know, reading a significant amount of scripture and then going through my big prayer list, you know, like praying for everybody, which is why on occasion you might get a text message at like 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but honestly, since the beginning of the year, I've started meeting with a spiritual director, and which has been a amazing journey up to this point. Hmm. And one of the things that I have discovered inside of that journey has been that um, I think that early morning discipline has been too much attached to penance or trying to earn Hmm. things with God. And so I have very intentionally shut off that waking up early in the morning kind of thing. And so now I get up, you know, uh, a lot Later, I don't spend as much time in that morning window in prayer and Bible reading. And I got to be honest with you, Wade, like I have, I have found a greater amount of life through the remainder of the day. I think having that big two hour window at the beginning kind of like check the box for me. Mm-hmm. And so I would sort of shut everything off. And then at the end of the day being like, man, I feel like everything was on fire in the morning and now I'm just like, what is going on? Where like, like I feel like what God is cultivating for me, even here at age 45, I feel like I should know these things already. Is like, you know, I wake up. I'm I'm learning to wake up beginning with God and not beginning with me. Yeah, learning to wake up into acceptance mm. and not into earning. Wow. So waking up into acceptance, getting a cup of coffee, spending a few, you know, like 30 minutes instead of two hours mm-hmm. in in prayer and just like inviting God to come and do whatever He wants in me. And then feasting throughout the rest of the day in conversation with God. And uh, the cool thing about it is my wife has really enjoyed this because she <laughs> likes to stay up a uh-huh. little bit later. And if I don't get up at 4.30, guess what? I mean, I am present and ready to be in conversation at 10 o'clock at night, which is really, really nice for our marriage. Yes. Which I think... God has been pumped about that too. So <laughs> right. that's pretty much it, man. I'm just me being real with you. No, I, I love that because I think, I mean, it speaks to me because I think I wrestle with a lot of those same struggles towards, you know, you, you said penance. I, I've talked a lot about legalism on this podcast and and trying to find the the difference between 
like discipline and legalism. And even like I gravitate more towards like rhythms and rhythms of prayer. Cause like you said, it can shift in different seasons of your life of what works for you. I think the, the win is that we pray <laughs> that's a priority. And so I think you, you probably set some people, I know you set me free to even think about my morning rhythms and maybe what's attached towards me feeling like I have to earn something at the beginning of the day. So how does then you mentioned conversation with God throughout the day. Do you have set times of like midday prayer, evening prayer, or is it more fluid than that? A part of my interactions with a with a movement called 24-7 Prayer has really awakened me to a daily prayer rhythm, the ancient morning, noon, morning, midday, and evening prayer rhythm, which is, I mean, this is the old Jewish prayer rhythm based on the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the morning, midday, evening. Also, the early church, this would have been the early church's practice, I mean, for hundreds of years, you know, you you see this morning, midday, and evening prayer. So I've adopted this for the last year or so, where in the morning, um, I will pray the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it is just praying that. Other times it's sort of like exploding it and praying, Mm -hmm. improvising after each line, making jazz out of it, so to speak. And then in midday, praying for the lost. Honestly, this has been one of the most powerful times of just stopping at midday, wherever I am, taking about five to 10 minutes and just like literally saying the names of people that I care about, wanting them to come home or to, or to experience abundant life in Christ. And then in the evening, uh, Allie and I have made this practice ever since you know we got married was to pray gratitude in the evenings. Sometimes I'll do it on my way home from work. but yeah. um, So that practice has been really helpful. There's a, an app that 24-7 Prayers developed called Inner mm-hmm. Room. The Inner Room app helps to auto, helps helps that. I mean, it's it's a really great resource for helping people pray morning, midday, and, and evening prayer. So that's been good. I actually just downloaded that app because I've been using Lectio 365 for a while, but I really love the Inner Room app as well. Lectio is brilliant. Now, you mentioned your work with 24-7 Prayer, which... Um, you know, is, is an amazing ministry. What is your role right, right now with that? And how are you, how did that come about? I'd be interested to hear that story. Right. My, my role with 24 seven prayer us is the, as, as prayer director. And so essentially what that means is the, you know, uh, pastor named Tyler Staten, who is, who leads Bridgetown church in Portland, mm-hmm. uh, is our national director. And um, so inside of our organization, we hit, we 24 seven prayer, the, the values of it are prayer, mission and justice. And so um, we kind of divide our team up through, you know, uh, under all those categories. And so prayer has been the thing that I've been asked to, to help spearhead um, at this, in this season. But my relationship with 24 seven prayer really got sparked because of a conversation you and I had um, with uh, new spring church, uh, we were trying to discover how do we become a praying church? Because honestly, since the beginning, we'd never really given much focus to it. We'd actually sort of like pushed back against the traditional church prayer meeting kind of thing where it looks like there's a lot of prayer and no action. Mm-hmm. And we had really elevated action above praying, um, which actually, I mean, you know, we want to advance violently, mm-hmm. you know, in, in for the kingdom of God. But we had sort of like really cast pray, prayer aside and not given too much care for it. And we felt like God was really pushing us into trying to discover how we could become a praying church. You and I have a conversation about it. You mentioned Pete Gregg. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to Pete and see if he I could get a conversation with him. Well, I ended up having this Zoom call with him after having read a bunch of his books and 
if you read any of Pete's books, your I mean, your hair will definitely be on fire. You can see, I mean, you know, I have all this, you know, uh, beautiful hair up here. But the uh, I met with Pete, and that conversation was really game changing. I mean, he helped us understand that as a big mega church kind of situation, you really just want to help people understand the existential nature of prayer, which is that human beings were designed for it from the beginning. In the beginning, in the garden, before there was sin or anything else, there was man and woman and God in conversation, prayer. Mm -hmm. And in the end of all things, there will be men and women with God in conversation. In the middle, we get to be stewards of bringing people back to that intimate friendship, which is which is prayer. And uh, that's the way you, you help people understand that, yes, we want to pray to see people saved, but we also want to get people saved yeah. so they can pray. I love that. Because prayer is... Yeah, prayer is a vehicle for friendship with God. So um, that was really great. He connected me with Tyler Staten, and and the 24-7 USA team was being rebuilt at the time. And so he was like, we really, you know, we've been praying about a, a national prayer director and would like for you to consider it. And the timing worked perfectly. So I'm just learning, you know, every single day. I feel like a rookie, you know, in, inside of all this. But it's a fantastic group of people and great to, great to be a part of the team. So you mentioned that part of that journey was trying to figure out how to incorporate prayer into church and how to make a church a praying church or how to foster that. What steps have you taken that would encourage any pastors or church staff that are listening to this? Like, what's one thing you could encourage them to do if they're wanting to do the same thing in their church? The, the first thing is you have to, if you're a pastor and you want your church to become a praying church, you have to embody it. Hmm. Whatever you want, your church will never will never embody prayer more than you do as the leader. I remember I had a conversation with a guy named Corey Russell uh, at Upper Room, and he told me, he's like, Lee, here's the deal, man. Unless your highest level of leaders at, at New Spring Church, unless you guys begin to embody prayer, your church will never come along because the religious spirit delegates prayer to a group of old ladies in a basement. Mm. And... You know, the, so anyway, what that said to me was uh, God may want me to uh, embody a life of prayer in secret that nobody knows about mm. for years before my church ever becomes a praying church. Man. Am I okay with that? And so I had to be okay with that. So every day, just about, I pray, God, will you teach me to pray today? Will you make me a man of prayer today? And then I just do the things that. You know, I, honestly, man, I try to do the things I want to do because what I discover in prayer is my moment by moment experience of the person of God gets richer and richer and richer. Hmm. He is everything, man. Wow. He's everything. And he will always be everything. And I think it is an absolute miracle that we can live beyond our five senses to encounter the God who, with our expanded senses for billions of years, we will get to mm -hmm. love and enjoy. It sounds so simple, yet it's so profound when you say that we have to embody it if if we ever want our church to get there. Yeah. And I think that that speaks to attention in our whole generation of we want to manufacture things, we want to make things happen without just realizing that the greatest work that God wants us to be involved with is surrendering our heart to him and, and being oh, yeah. willing to be changed ourselves. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think just to go back to your, your book, the very first poem I read when I just opened this up, when I first got it from Amazon, 
was called the staircase. I, th- I think it goes along with kind of what we're talking about where it says, and I'm going to embarrass you by reading one of your poems in front of you <laughs> right now on the podcast. But um, you said, may God grant you eyes to see the path ahead. It is not straight, obvious, not like you would think. May you see the way ahead, a spiral staircase. And if confusion sets in as each step moves away from the one before it, may you feel yourself ascending, brushing angelic shoulders. Oh, what a storehouse of goodness awaits you. Let love and wonder move you into the unknown, the painful, and the difficult. May he grant you a vision of your future today and grace to take each step ever higher, ever forward. And the part that really struck me when I first read it was the whole brushing angelic shoulders, because I found in my seasons of being so confused of not knowing how to make something happen, it's driven me even deeper into the presence of God to realize that Mm. the need I'm trying to fulfill outward, he can only fill inward. And so I'm wondering, first of all, what inspired this particular benediction, this blessing in your life? Did it come from an actual event you were wrestling with? Yeah, it it came from two things specifically. The first one was, so all of those blessings I wrote from a, there was a Bible reading plan that I was doing. And every day it gave me four passages of scripture. And I'm confident that on that particular day, I was reading about the story of Jacob and him seeing the ladder, mm-hmm. you know, at Bethel, and of him seeing angels ascending and descending um, upon, uh, on that on that staircase, and the connection in the New Testament where Jesus basically said, "Like you'll see mm-hmm. angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man," and uh, so that scripture was there. Now the the image of a spiral staircase is really near and dear to me personally, because on the year that I turned 40, before I turned 40, I asked my brother, who is John, who is our prophetic ministry director at New Spring, to, um, I just was like, man, will you just ask God, you know, for a word of encouragement as I get ready to hit this milestone? And, and he did, I mean, there's no pressure in that. He's like, yeah, I'll definitely pray for you. And if he gives me anything beautiful, um, and he's like, Lee, I feel like I see a spiral staircase. I don't know if that means anything to you necessarily, but like, you know, um, so I just held on to that image. And um, this was a period of my life where I had been doing one thing. I've been in worship music for 15 or 16 years. And then the week that I turned 40, our leadership asked me to come and be a campus pastor, stepping out of worship into being the Greenville campus pastor here in Greenville, which is a completely different move. Mm-hmm. And that word about a spiral staircase was so important for me because lots of people that I knew and loved told me I was making a huge mistake. This didn't make sense. Sometimes our movements in life, they're not linear. Mm-hmm. Like the next right right move might be to like really go to the left. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But a spiral staircase operates like that. It's continually taking you not in a linear direction, but you're always going upward. And that's the thing. I've always visualized that perhaps what Jacob saw was like a spiral staircase, like a DNA helix, Mm -hmm. like some type of, some type of um, thing that would have, have mirrored that uh, in some way. So that's sort of what inspired that. My encouragement to anybody who is reading that is if God invites you to do a wild and weird thing, even if it is painful and difficult, let's step boldly into it and find we have angelic help, you know, and and we're going further up and further in as C.S. Lewis wrote, right? Man, that's, that's a beautiful picture. And 
I relate a lot to your story because we've kind of had a similar journey and transition there. It, it can be easy on this side of it to say, and you know, I just, it ended up being a great thing for me and God grew me and now I'm loving what I'm doing. Can you talk about the in-between part where it was hard and how you process that with the Lord? And maybe it wasn't hard for you. I, I just love whatever that process looked like, the messiness of it. If you could unpack some of that. God had definitely prepared me for that season of transition. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was 36 years old, I felt the Lord whispered to me in a prayer time, welcome to high school, son. You got four years to learn and grow. And then when you turn 40, I'm going to graduate you into something new. So I knew something was coming, mm -hmm. and but I didn't know what it would be. And then here it is, it's this very strange, like being a campus pastor. I remember telling our leadership here, man, I would, I don't ever want to be a campus pastor. It literally sounds like the worst job ever. <laughs> and, uh, but I told them, I was like, but I think revival is coming to Greenville, South Carolina. And so if that one ever opens up, I don't think I could say no. This was months in advance, forgotten about that conversation. Here it is on the birthday week of my 40th birthday, I get a phone call about this. And hang up the phone, say yes. Allie looks at me and was like, did you tell them yes? Because this is exactly what you need to do. So it's like there's so much energy and momentum, you know, like Holy Spirit momentum on the front end of this thing. But then, Wade, that whole next year, I didn't write any music, which was the first year since high school that I had never done that. Hmm. And I had to grapple with the idea of becoming a hobbyist as a musician. Like, I play guitar and it's a hobby. I don't do it for a living anymore. And honestly, that that sort of like letting the, all of my dreams about music making and what I would be as a career musician, I had to let them all go, man. I, I mean, and realize, come back to my original calling, which was not to be in music. It was simply to go with Jesus wherever he went. Yeah. And so the calling is about Jesus. The calling's not, bro, the calling's not even about the church. The calling is about Him. Yes. And so the, um, it was really good to let that musical stuff kind of like be like a kernel and fall into, fall into the ground and get buried. And then the cool part about it is it's like, man, I felt all of this musical creativity just surge back into my body in the following year loving playing, making music, loving playing guitar, loving listening to music, discovering new things, almost like God gave me that gift back. Oh, that's awesome. In an even greater measure. And I enjoy it so much more now, I feel like, several years down the road. I feel like my guitar and piano uh, uh, abilities are, you know, better than they were a handful of years ago just because of the renewal of passion in life and the I mean, I don't have as many limitations on on what I can do or you know sound like or do you know anything like that. Is your if you're doing it in a in a worship context, I mean, you there are um, different constraints. It's, they're not worse; they're just different. And uh, so, anyway, that's a long answer to that question. But um, it was it was tough, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, it it was tough letting that go and then receiving back something which I enjoy even more now. I really resonate especially with what you said about calling, because I do think calling is one of those words that we have misused as Christians and as the church in large part, because we have tied calling to something we enjoy doing or to something we get paid to do. And if that's the case, then if you no longer get to do that thing anymore, you're not called. And like you said, calling yeah. is so much deeper. It's it's about following Jesus. It's about living out the purpose that we were created for, which is to know him. <laughs> 
and to love him. Yeah. Just what you said about prayer at the beginning, it's to be in conversation with God. Yeah. He's the best of all of his gifts. I mean, whatever he could give us, he's the best one yes. of all the things he could give us. But wait, you, you said uh, like with, with younger folks in ministry, I've started to use a different way of thinking about calling. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell somebody, hey, like, let's put calling on the side and let's not use that word anymore. Let's think about it in terms of identity and assignment. Yes. Like you have an identity with God that's probably never going to change. Mm-hmm. This is the, maybe even there's a Bible verse attached to it. For me, Psalm 84 is the whole map of Lee McDermott's life. With specific, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in tents of wickedness. Holding a door open for other people to experience intimacy with God in His presence, that's everything I want to be about. My assignment can change and shift. Uh, God can give me one, you know, of a number of different assignments. You know, be a worship pastor, be a creative arts pastor, be a campus pastor, be, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever that next thing is. It doesn't matter. But this identity never changes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's much sure footing. So I'll encourage younger pastors, ask God to give you a verse of Scripture that's more than a, this is my life verse. Like, this is a name. You know, John the Baptist is asked, Hey, who are you? Who do you think you are? He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, this is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Like, I want I want to have be so deeply entrenched into Psalm, into Psalm 84 that whatever my assignment is, it fits beautifully underneath the umbrella of that identity. Yeah. So my assignments can come and go. I'm just going to be open-handed with it. That's an awesome distinction, not just for anyone in ministry, but just anyone in general, but also that is a great application for anyone listening to this podcast. Like really ask the Lord to give you a a scripture and a vision for how to, what to root your identity in, something to help make it a bit more tangible for you. Now, one of your other transitions, you know, after being a campus pastor, and I'm probably going to mess up your your title, but where you oversaw, you're like pastor of preaching, prayer and prophecy. Is that right? Bunch of different (laughs) things. Yep. I've, I've since moved into, I've stepped onto our leadership team now, kind of having some oversight into a bunch of different things. But we were, I was helping to oversee our preaching team, our prophetic ministry, and our prayer ministry as we were getting it started. Mm-hmm. And I still get to help oversee a lot of that stuff as as one of our lead pastors. But um, so it's exciting. Well, yep. I, I want to kind of camp on the prophecy side of that for a section. And if you mentioned it a couple of times, I think in a lot of people's minds, they can relegate the prophetic and just think it's weird. And maybe they don't give mm-hmm. the the weight to it that we need to scripturally. Can you help explain in a very practical sense the role of prophecy in, in the church? Right. Yeah. Very simply, the role of prophecy, if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, the prophet should speak really and to do th- accomplish three things in a congregational setting. And this is this is the gift for like and at the beginning of that passage it says everyone should desire it you know what i mean like you are sort of required biblically to want to prophesy that's what that scripture is saying i want you all to prophesy but it should do three things for someone's uh edification encouragement and consolation if you think about what edification is you're building someone up this is this is that process of like you know, like pouring into their life and building them up. Courage is like encouragement is putting courage in them for the thing that they're supposed to do. It's like a cattle prod. And then consolation, you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you'd be surprised at at how powerful the gift of prophecy is in a moment of someone's grief. Hmm. And so what prophecy comes along to do is really to be the life of the Holy Spirit through words 
in the congregation to just average people for what's happening. It's never meant to contradict the scriptures at all. And, and many times, I mean, like you've experienced in our friendship, the the best thing I can give you is a word from the word uh, on time, right? Yeah. So New Testament congregational prophets can be wrong. They can be they can be off a little bit. Uh, the key is to is to be submitted to the Spirit in the context of community and not be manipulative. First Thessalonians chapter five says, "Don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what's good." So that can you know. So if you and I are in in relationship together, I give you some bit of prophetic encouragement. I feel like God's you know giving me something for you. You get to test all of that, and if there's one sentence in there that that you feel like is from God, everything else is from Lee McDermott. You can throw all the Lee McDermott stuff away and keep what God gave you, right? Yeah. So that's how pro- the gift of prophecy works its way out in community in a in a body of believers. It's to build up the body. It's to bring encouragement. It's to bring it's to bring the life and the heart of the Father to everyone who who is there. It also provide it's it's a means of governance as well. If you look at Ephesians chapter two, the church is found on the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Um, there are a lot of different ways to interpret that passage. We have just even just if there's a shadow of an idea that the gift of apostleship and prophecy need to work together with Jesus as the head of the church in team. What that we have found—that's the way we operate at New Spring Church, to where our prophetic leadership team assists the lead team by trying to hear what God is saying for our church, so that our leadership team can make really well-timed, Holy Spirit-inspired decisions. So it's kind of—if you want to think—it is both a um, you know up the org chart to the to the lead team to help make decisions and to govern the church plus it's out to every member of the church mm-hmm. to know how to be able to hear God's voice um for themselves and for the benefit of other people that's how the yeah. gift of prophecy should work in the new testament context we feel like so w- what we've tried to do at new spring is to develop some training that people can just understand biblically here's how to steward hearing God's voice especially for other people and um Here's how to do it right. Here's how to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, here's how to grow in that gift. That's such a clear and helpful just breakdown of what prophecy is and how it should work. Mm-hmm. So thank you for giving that. When you mentioned testing a prophetic word, can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Because I could see some people being like, well, does that mean if I just don't like the word, it's not for me? <laughs> because sometimes the word might be a hard word for them. How do you know this is from God? This is from Lee McDermott. Right. Well, I think I think there's an inner witness. I mean, for two two believers who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, if I, you know, dial up a word of encouragement for you and I text it to you, and if it reads your mail, if you were thinking the thing that I just texted you about that I have no idea about, that's going there's gonna be an inner witness mm-hmm. that God is actually like speaking to you. The other thing that you have to think is, is this biblical? You know, am I giving you any type, like, is what I'm giving you at all unbiblical? If it is, then there's no need to, no need to think about it. Like, let's say if, if you and, and Ferris were, God forbid, if y'all were thinking about getting a divorce and I was like, you know what, man, I just heard from the Lord. He says, that's okay. And you just need to make yourself happy. Like, that's not necessarily directly a, a biblical thing. And you want to catch yeah. that and be like, well, I'm not sure. We need to think about that. There's a deeper discussion that goes on there. Mm-hmm. So is it biblical? Does it carry the tone of of the Holy Spirit? 
So Romans chapter 8 says, We have not received a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we received a spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So sometimes somebody can give you a prophetic word that feels like a warning. It's harsh. It's critical. Anytime I've received that, I just am like, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say to me through this? I think this is not, the tone is off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a tone that you're looking for as well as the content. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Bible helps us to, to discern those things. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. And by the way, Fer- Ferris and I are yeah. doing really well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, without, without a doubt. The, the, um, the, the other thing that I would say there too in testing is doing it in the context of community. If you have some other people who love you, if you receive a prophetic word from somebody and it's like, you know, if you feel like some of it is on, but you're not sure about the rest, involve some other friends to pray into it with you. And that's why we do, the, you know, the first Corinthians 13 says we prophesy in part, mm-hmm. you know, so we're only, we're only catching a, a window of it. Somebody else might have the rest of it. Um, so the other thing that I would say is if there is some directional material inside that prophetic word, like if I were to to hit you with something that was like, Wade, in 18 months, you are going to win the lottery and then become president of the United States. Um, obviously, there's a time window on that and something that needs to happen. The only way to test that kind of word is to see if it yeah. comes true. And so that's where for us, we really give the instruction, don't, don't deliver prophecies that have dates, mates, job changes, babies, that kind of thing, don't deliver those in advance of the thing happening. Hmm. So we instruct our people, the best prophetic exercise that we can use is to write down. If we, if I felt like God was going to make you president of the United States of America, I would write that down in the date that it happened. And if it happened, when it happened, I would say, Wade, let me encourage you. God meant this for you on this date. Huh. I feel like God told me this for you, and here it is. It happened. Yes. And then it becomes a confirming witness to what has already come to pass. Um, that's just a, we find that's a better practice. In all things, though, you want, you have to be, you got to let the Holy Spirit guide you. And so sometimes that's difficult. The main thing is you want to do it from a posture of humility mm. so that if you screw it up, you can say, you know what, I was totally wrong. I'm so sorry. I'll receive whatever feedback that you have for me. That's extremely helpful. I received the lottery part of that prophecy. I do not receive the yeah, the man. president of the United States. <laughs> um, no, but as you're talking and, and every answer you've given in this, in this conversation, I love how much scripture just flows from you just naturally. Is there anything just as we kind of close our interview, anything helpful that you could give for somebody in their practice of just anchoring their life in God's word and their study of the Bible that has been helpful for you? Wait, I mean, I know you and I share this, man. We are we are men of the book. I mean, I just, I love the book so much, so much. The thing that I mostly encourage people to do is just to read it and to read it a lot and to read all of it. And because uh, that was the biggest thing that sort of changed my life was when I was inspired to read it from cover to cover mm-hmm. as fast as I could. When I, when I received that challenge, I was in my 20s. When I did that, it changed everything in my life. Because I had always, I'd grown up taking it piece by piece. I'll read a little bit here, hear a sermon on this part in the New Testament, read this part in the Old Testament. What is this about? I don't understand. You know, I'd never gone cover to cover, and I'd never done it quickly, like sort of putting all my questions on hold. Mm -hmm. And the first time I ever did that, man, 
it was like, I mean, it was like getting filled with the spirit. I mean, it was like, I mean, I felt this miraculous rush into my body and, and I felt like a different person on the other side of it. So I think that's the thing that I would encourage people is don't be scared of the book, man. Yeah. It's, it is not like any other book that you will ever read. It is the only book that promises to be alive. It is living and active. And so when I put my eyes on it, it's doing something different than if I just read, you know, the newspaper or a article, you know, on the internet. I mean, it's, it's a different kind of reading. It is supernatural reading. Mm-hmm. And um, it is information that we were designed to knit together with. So when, when we read it, there's something happening in our bodies that's knitting together with what we were, we were designed for. So I just want to inspire people. Just open the book. Trust that God is, you know, there's no accident for any any page that you put your eyes on. Just go for it, man, and 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 make it a lifelong practice. I, I see things in the Bible, and I know this, my, you know, the thing that got me, Wade, I remember asking my mom, who is in her 70s now, I'm like, Mom, what's the one thing you love about walking with Jesus? She was like, that I still read the Bible and find new things that I've never seen. She's been a Christian her whole life. And I'm like, man, that's the way I want to be. Mm. I want to be in my 70s, my 80s, like just opening the book and being like, yeah. wow, I've never seen that before, man. I love that. And uh, because God is, he's He's doing, I mean, that book is alive. So yeah. it's everything. And your passion for the Lord and passion for his word it is so obvious. Let me give you this one final question in, in the vein of what this whole podcast is about. What are you currently dreaming about right now, either in your own life, in your family's life, for the church? What is kind of consuming your your mind and your heart? So many things, Wade. The first thing that popped into my head was global awakening. Hmm. Explain what you mean by that. I mean, widespread revival. Revival in the church, widespread evangelism, salvations, widespread global harvest, I feel like under the radar, it's beginning to happen. It's beginning to spring up and we're starting to, to, to see it. Like people are coming back to church. If people are coming back to church, like never before. Hmm. And it is, I'm, we're starting to see these miracles happen all over the place. I feel like unity is a thing. Unity in the church is something that is way more talked about now than ever before. I, f- I feel like there are no longer lines of territorialism or especially between the generational mm-hmm. divide. I just don't see that as much anymore. Um, we're always going to have our battles, but I just feel like there's unity in the church that is swelling up. There is awakening that is swelling up. The younger generations are desperate for, for God. Um, you know, I just, I feel like we're about to see a generational move of God that is, um, that is going to be very dramatic. So that's that's what I'm looking for. And for personally, for me, I want to teach the Bible cover to cover to my kids and to my grandchildren. Yeah, that's the big thing that I'm dreaming about. That's what I want to do. Awesome. I want to be a, a person of prayer all of my days. But I feel like we're going to see some sweeping, sweeping um, spiritual awakening. Yeah, I, b- I believe it as well. First of all, I've loved having you on the podcast. Like you just anytime mm-hmm. I talk to you, I, I leave encouraged. And I think you've given so many helpful, practical tools for people, both with prayer, with the prophetic, how to navigate seasons of change and transition. But I wanted to thank you too for this, because my 
and I've told you this before, but my sister and brother-in-law and their family have attended New Spring for years and mm. their life was changed by Jesus at your church. And mm. I want to thank you because I know the journey hasn't always been easy and yet you've been so faithful to your assignment, your multiple assignments there. And just, you know, from somebody who hasn't just been impacted from far away, but up close through my family, I just want to say thank you for doing that. And, you know, I echo that to every pastor and church staff member and volunteer at any church. Thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness matters more than you know. But man, you are, you're a great man. You're a great friend. And I'm just thankful to have you on here today. Yeah, same way. Love you so much. Love you too. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. And I'd love just to challenge you to put into practice what Lee mentioned when he was talking through his current prayer rhythm of starting the morning by praying the Lord's Prayer, taking a pause in the middle of the day to pray for the lost, to pray for people that you know who need to experience the love of Jesus. And then at the end of the day, to pray gratitude and just thank God for all the ways that He moved, even in the small details of that day. And I believe if you commit to a prayer rhythm like that, and they don't have to be hour-long prayers each time, it could be five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the middle of the day, five minutes in the evening, I think you'll be amazed at how your awareness of God's activity in your life will grow, your sensitivity to what His Spirit is saying to you will increase, and I believe you will be blessed if you adopt the priority of prayer in your life through a rhythm just like that. So thanks again for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode. You can always reach out on Instagram at Wade Joy, or you can leave a review on the podcast and I might share it on a future episode. All right, well, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you back here on next week's Dreamers and Disciples. Mm-hmm.